0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Jesse Hattard, the CEO of Tactic Studios, to talk about their upcoming title, known as Claire de Lune. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) No problem at all. I'm very glad that you're here today because I think this game is going to be something special. But... Before we get into that, we always like to start with talking about the people behind the game. So Jesse, tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into game creation.
1: Sure. Um, Well, uh, I've been someone who's always wanted to be into games ever since I was a little kid, like developing that is, Um, maybe around age six or seven, something around there. I decided, yeah, I want to develop video games and Mm -hmm. um, pursued a career in computer science and um, With the goal of uh, developing games and um, ultimately was hired in around 2005, I think it was, at Ubisoft Montreal Mm -hmm. uh, here in Canada and uh, worked on my first game for GameCube, PS2 and the, I don't know what you call it now, the, the first Xbox yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) and um yeah since then uh i've been you know around the industry for i guess it's about about 15 years now uh making video games
0: very cool, very cool. And so you know you were working in, in some of those more uh, AAA style uh, studios and then you eventually seemed to move over uh, move over to what is now Tactic Studios. You created this uh, company, right? What, uh, what is all that about? you know like what was it that uh, first off, what is it that made you take that jump and uh, tell me a little bit about Tactic Studios in general.
1: Sure. Yeah. So yeah, originally, um, I worked at Ubisoft. I then worked at uh, Capcom and then digital extremes, uh, where the kind of main three companies, uh, I worked at beforehand, which, yeah, as you pointed out, we're working on, uh, more higher profile games, um, like Bioshock and, uh, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, eventually reached a point where I was like, look, I want to develop my own video games of my own design. Um, rather than, you know, working on games that are designed by someone else. Uh, So in order to do that, I figured, you got to start your own company, right? And, um, you know, did that with uh, some other like-minded individuals and uh, uh, formed uh, Tactic Studios. So uh, in terms of what Tactic Studios is like, um, I'm sorry, what what was the question? We wanted to know a bit about Tactic
0: Studios. Yeah, just a little bit about the studios, you know. uh, you, You covered it a little bit, but just maybe, you know, kind of uh, really what uh, what started Tactic Studio, you know, like I, I'm thinking of when you start a company, you try to stick with like a certain value or, a, you know, a mission uh, that you're like, we're gonna create this type of game or this is why we're creating, you know, this studio, right? Like yeah. what was that kind of like for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you got it. So um, I guess originally I had, uh, while I was working full-time at Digital Extremes, I, uh, at night, uh, I would, make this little game engine uh for a game called Immortal Empire, which was like a, a isometric pixel based um XCOM clone, like the original mm-hmm. XCOM, but in like a fantasy world, all multiplayer and stuff. So uh built this engine for, for that and released that game two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. And um it was it was just something I wanted to do on the side so that uh uh again I could scratch that creative itch as well mm-hmm. as um At digital extremes i was a manager right and when you're a manager even at a game studio you do a little less programming than you otherwise would and you do a little more managing of people so be sure i stayed on top of my programming skills and and that was a big impetus behind um you know implementing the engine and, and building that game um that game was you know obviously in terms of scale and the, the level of quality especially on the visuals was like nothing compared to what we have now on Player <laughs> Loon. i mean it's, if you could, i don't know if you've seen the screenshots of the old one versus this one i mean it it's like a decade has passed so it's, it's a lot of time too but it's a big uh, it's a big change in terms of the um uh you know the quality of the engine and, and the kind of game that we built as well um as far as a mission statement From the company as a whole um, I guess there are some things that I feel like we're trying to do a little differently which is that um, personally I like doing games that have a story behind them Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like I I want the games to have a bit of uh, maybe thought provoking is the right word uh, element to them Mm -hmm. Um, something that uh, you haven't seen before rather than like a clone of an existing game Right, Uh, right. so while obviously there's Bits of other games, like there's some of XCOM inside of Immortal Empire. Or there's a bit of Portal inside of Claire de Lune. Um, I do feel like they're original products for the for the most part.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So tell me this, uh, just because I'm thinking, you know, you started this this other project of of creating your own studio and and working on these games, and I'm assuming it it kind of stemmed from that, you know, being in that manager role and still trying to like to to have those creative juices and have that flow of of autonomy, right? It seems, uh, I guess, ironic that you would then now be a CEO where I assume you probably don't have as much time. Granted, being in a smaller indie studio, you probably wear a ton of hats, but like, I'm assuming a lot of your time really isn't always going to be as focused on developing the game versus trying to keep the ship afloat, right?
1: Yeah, that is a good point. Um... You know, it's funny because uh, as the owner of the company, there are certainly things that I do now that uh, when I initially started uh, the company, I didn't anticipate would take as much time, um, you know, like talking to the accountants and doing our year Mm -hmm. end. And, um, you know, when I have to have a legal question, I got to deal with the lawyers. And I I don't I didn't get into this and start the company to be doing that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right. I want to develop the games and that's my main focus and really what I want to be doing. Um. And uh, But that being said, uh, I have seen other companies uh, that once they reach a certain level, once they're uh, beyond these early stages, you don't have to wear quite so many hats. Mm-hmm. You can then hire people to fill those roles. Um, you know, for example, coming from where I came from at Digital Extremes, um, they have kind of a creative director who, who is a, a part owner of the company. And they also have you know, a CFO and they have a president and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a CTO and such. And so once you're at a certain scale where you can afford to hire experts in each one of those independent fields, then you get a lot of that freedom back again, um, right? So I guess I'm looking at it from a long-term perspective of, yeah, I realize for the time being, you know, if I have to fill out a spreadsheet full of data numbers and stuff, I have to do that. And, uh, <laughs> even though it may not be very fun. And, uh, but, you know, we're, we're getting a little bigger now and um we're at a scale now where we've got a few people that can help out with some of those uh, um other things and it's actually made life a hell of a lot easier
0: yeah i'm sure the the less glamorous side that you <laughs> cool. often don't think about when you're like oh i want to make my own game right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell me um about how many people you know you just said that you you were uh, in the luxurious spot of being able to bring on a few more people about how large is the team? Uh,
1: right now, I think we're 16 or 17 people. Um, originally with Claire de Lune, it, we picked at maybe five for, over the course of that game. And hmm. um, there's really only two main constants there, which is myself and uh, the co-founder of the company, Dave Herzog. Um, so between the two of us, we were the two people who were there from the start right to the end of the project. And wow. then we brought on, um, some artists and some animators uh to help along the way and uh, you know as well as some some other people voice actors uh composer uh, concept artists things like that right. right um there, there was mainly just the two of us uh for the most part the only two programmers as well mm-hmm. um and uh we also wrote the game engine too which you know, <laughs> made this even more uh, complicated <laughs> uh <laughs> on, on top of everything else um
0: yeah that's a that's a big piece of work for for you know just seemingly uh two people at least in the majority of uh, the sense
1: yeah yeah it was definitely a lot of work but then again we've been working on it for a long time we started it in 2015 so it's been about six years now that we okay. work on the game so what we uh, uh lost in terms of uh, volume of people we, we gained in terms of the length of time it took to develop that right. being said some big games with huge teams do take a long time to develop yeah, yeah, for sure. We so worked on games that you know companies have spent six, seven, eight years on. So we're we're ahead of uh, <laughs> some of those big ones out there. Um,
0: That's true. Yeah, I mean there is some you know obviously pros and cons, but there are some positive sides to having a much smaller team in that it's much more easier to communicate, uh, you know, direction or vision when it's a smaller subset of individuals as opposed to a giant team trying to piecemeal all of these separate little sections together
1: um, I'd agree with that completely it's much easier uh, to you know kind of express what you're envisioning for the game if you can just ask someone to talk to them directly instead of going through a middleman or something mm-hmm. um, it's mm-hmm. even easier if you just do it yourself which is what we ended up doing a lot of the time <laughs> but um, I don't want to uh, I want to underscore that in some spots it's actually harder than you might think uh, interesting how <laughs> so Well, like uh, take the score, for example. So uh, we didn't write the score. Uh, Mm -hmm. We hired someone to write the score. And you kind of have a picture in mind of how you want the score to sound. And um, Cole McGuinness, who wrote the score, he did did a fantastic job. I don't want to um, uh, make it sound like we weren't happy with the score. But one of the things we asked for was for the song Claire de Lune by Debussy uh, to appear throughout Mm -hmm. the score as a motif, at least the, the key motifs from Claire de Lune. Mm. um and it just didn't it was uh, nowhere nowhere in there right and it's like you'd kind of hear a piece come back and you'd come back to and be like oh hey this sounds great hey can you include uh, the motifs from that song and then you just get something back that where they wouldn't be there and um it didn't I seem see. to matter how many times you ask like please put that in there uh it just didn't seem to materialize and um uh yeah i don't again I, d- I don't want to um disparage uh that individual whatsoever um again i'm very happy with the score i think it turned out well uh i think it sounds really great and we do have you know claire de Lune song in the game right. as it's originally presented but it's something that yeah i mean i, I can't control that i'm not writing the music mm-hmm. all i can do is ask and um because of that uh some things just uh, just don't materialize i think i can give you another example um we had asked for the main character to be a mixed race, and uh, you know Claire and John, mm-hmm. and we got back a Caucasian person, <laughs> like <laughs> like freckled Caucasian person, and we're like, uh, well, that's not quite right. She's supposed to be a mixed race, and then um, it's just a it's a fight to try and get them to to change it to right. what it's meant to be, and it's a pretty big deal, right? It's the, the how the character is meant to look, and you yeah. kind of fight back and forth with the contractor, being like, make these changes. And uh, in, in the end, like, I think Dave, who's a programmer, not an artist, had to go in and uh, tweak a bunch of stuff to get the, to, to look closer to what we were, we're picturing. But, uh, right. you know, it, yeah, it's, sometimes the stuff doesn't work the way that you, you want it to work, uh, even in the case where you feel like you have a tremendous amount of control. <laughs>
0: Well, sometimes you just got to get in there and do it yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we, we dive into the game, I just wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the, the history of, of Tactic Studios. And, and what I mean by that is your the main game that you had created beforehand and now moving towards Claire, um, it, they're vastly different in, in a lot of ways. Um, kind of walk me through, you know, what was the reasoning behind such a, a change in, in genre and in, in themes, really?
1: Yeah, I mean, Immortal Empire was a game that uh, you know had the scope that it did, mostly because I was building it while working a very demanding full-time job, mm-hmm. also in the games industry. So um, that's a game I coded entirely myself and hired some pixel artists to help out with the art, but also did a bunch of the art myself, did all the sound design myself, but wrote some music myself. I mean, yeah, it was a lot of doing it all on your own. Right. Um, and because I knew I wouldn't have a full-time commitment to it, I could only build a game that was, you know, so complicated. Uh, I, I certainly couldn't have built a game like Claire de Lune by myself. Right. So, um, so the scope of that game was much smaller as a result. And then uh, similarly, once um, we had a bit bigger team uh, and more funding to be able to uh, produce Claire de Lune, it was like, well, let's build something that's a larger scope uh, rather than uh, this tactical game Um, and uh, the 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 second thing I guess I can uh, comment on there is um, a lot of the game ideas that I have things that I'd always wanted to create ever since I was a little kid um, there are a wide range of genres I enjoy playing a wide range of genres I like tactics games I like puzzle games, I like shooters, I like strategy games, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sim games, like uh, whatever it is, I, I tend to enjoy it. So, um, this gigantic 120 video games that I want to somehow make in the you know, tiny lifetime that I have, uh, which I'll never even rip through, probably even three of them. Um, uh, they're all different genres, all different styles of game. Um, and uh, so yeah, I, I think after Claire de Lune, we'll be building something pretty different.
0: Okay. all right, I like it. Um, Okay. So let's actually dive into the game now, right? Let's talk about Claire de Lune because I think this one is super interesting. I I love the theme around it. Um, But before we we dive too deep into it, uh, let's just talk about kind of a little bit of your elevator pitch for it, right? You know, for those who might not know anything about the game, how would you describe it and kind of what makes it special to you?
1: Yeah, so Claire de Lune is a first-person puzzle game. Uh, it's set in a science fiction universe, and um, I guess you could call it something similar, similar to Portal, in the sense that it has um, a gun that you use. In this case, it's called the Nano Gun mm-hmm. that helps you navigate around the world using this very specific mechanic of spawning uh, nanomatter, which is like you know tiny little nanites. Mm-hmm. um ai controlled robots that can move into whatever configuration you want them to um, and uh it's a mix of platforming which is a lot of uh jumping around in first person using the nanogun to get from point a to point b as well as puzzle solving and those puzzles take the form of both um, kind of old school style adventure puzzles like you know old lucas arts games or sierra games um mm-hmm. as well as uh uh you know, direct mini game puzzles and um i guess the differentiating factor from some of those other games like *Light like portal would be that it has a pretty strong storyline has fully voiced uh, characters that are um you know realized into the in the game that like claire is a physical character that you encounter and not the disembodied yeah. voice although we have those disembodied voices too and um the the puzzles themselves are uh, more grounded in the sense that um Where in Portal, you're moving through a testing environment and the puzzles are a part of the storyline that you're being tested and you need to solve them. In this case, they're more uh, real world obstacles like a locked door or, um, you know, a platform that's too high and you need to figure out how to get up there. So Mm -hmm. things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so first off, I, I really enjoyed the fact that when I first looked into the game, Found out it was Claire de Lune, I was like, ah, oh, okay, makes sense. Probably going to be playing this person that's show the showcased in the front, but you're actually not at all right. So let's <laughs> let's dive into the story about this. Um, you mentioned, you know, kind of you were you were heavily inspired, or, or I won't say you were heavily inspired, but you're taking some things away from from things like Portal. In in that, uh, it has pieces that kind of fit that right. But diving into the story because this is quite different. What was it about this, you know, rescue your daughter on an unknown planet scenario that kind of uh, both inspired you and, and really led you to be like, this is what we got to do?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. So obviously, uh, even though the the game is named after Claire, uh, you don't play as Claire. You play as John, who's Claire's dad. Uh, and actually, the the story is more about John. It's about his journey to uh to reunite with claire after they're separated before they land on this planet surface and um uh john and his ai partner arturo uh work together to navigate the planet surface and then they ultimately find a uh secret facility and then um are in their path to get to claire and um yeah they uh it's their journey it's the journey of, of john and arturo you know as friends working through uh, working through this environment more so than about claire to be honest uh it's just named after her <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> um yeah as far as uh, why i felt it was important story to tell um i don't know it, it's, it's a bit hard to to give that without spoiling how it mm-hmm. all goes mm-hmm. but um yeah i'd say it's a it's a story that's about trust it's about how much do i trust this ai that's helping me how much do i trust the other people that i encounter um and it's also a story about failure and coping with failure Hmm. and um yeah like when you fail to do something that you're attempting to do um because that happens to people sometimes how do you handle it right you know in a a, um, healthy way right uh so um that's what the story is about I, I should also point out that um i actually wrote the story as a two-part thing <clears throat> so okay. this is this i would say is more like part one of part of the two-part thing oh, um, interesting. and without i don't really want to spoil i think if i told you what i have in mind for part two it would, would spoil part one but um <laughs> the bottom line being i, I do think it, it fits as like a completely fully contained game that. You wouldn't even really know had any kind of sequel or, or whatever in mind, but, but I, I wanted it to feel um, complete. And mm-hmm. uh, in doing so, I didn't want to, you know, uh, dream up what a sequel might be after the game is, is come out. I wanted to think about that in advance so that you For could sure. inject little bits of stuff in the game, you know, should we be uh, fortunate enough to be able to build a sequel. So I'd actually mm-hmm. do have a whole second half written, so i already kind of know what happens there and um yeah, yeah it's very uh, exciting some of those themes got kind of to get explored um throughout the the whole arc of part one and part two rather than just
0: in part one <clears throat> very cool well i guess now we don't have to uh talk about what comes next uh as far as my <laughs> questioning um yeah. but let's let's continue on claire de lune for now as far as these Part one. Uh, being a puzzle platformer, I'm, I'm sure there's a number of unique mechanics in this game. You just talked about that nano gun and kind of what you can uh, do as far as creating those nanites. Um, let's talk a little bit about what that actually means, right? So, two of the main forms of abilities or, or uses of that gun that, that at least I s- have seen in the trailer is kind of this ability to create platforms as well as a beam of light that seems to be flowing in a specific direction that can move that platform. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of these mechanics maybe if we're going to see anything uh, different like new uh, attachments to the guns or, or different abilities that you might get and obviously if you think that it's too far into spoilers you can kind of shut me down but let's talk about the the abilities a little bit and kind of what you can use for that puzzle platforming aspect
1: yeah yeah no it's a good question so um the Gun has four key abilities it has the cube which is this blue cube that you can spawn it has the booster which is like a little trampoline you can jump on it launches you up into the air um there's the attractor which pulls the cube towards a wall and the repulsor which pushes the cube away from a wall and that's it The set of mechanics is actually pretty small, um, in the same vein as Portal, where you really just have two kind of one function, create a portal, create another portal, and then you can walk through the two portals. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We didn't want to create like an extremely complicated gun where you're spending all this time just learning the mechanics uh, of the game. It was more that once we implemented these four modes, we discovered there's a huge number of puzzles you can actually create with just those four modes, Right. right? Um, And there's a bunch of creative ways that you can use the cube. You know, you can use it to, um, you know, like plug a hole in a waterfall. You can use it as a platform, as you mentioned. You can kind of ride on it on one of these cube uh, attractor gizmos. Um, You can launch it up into the air with a a booster. Um, You can drop it on things and squish enemies. You can, uh, you know, Send it soaring across across a room with, with, with if you kind of maintain the momentum and release the uh, attractor at the right moment. So there's all these uh, kind of end results you get from a pretty small number of, of mechanics.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually um, kind of happier that, that there's less right because I think that you would you would have something where obviously you would get one ability and then you'd kind of forget about it halfway through like i feel like a lot of games have that design where they're like each world is is mapped around one specific ability but then it's like half of the things you've learned in the first half really mean nothing later into the game so with this it's more of a use the small amount of tools that you have to constantly find unique ways to to traverse or to to get through right
1: it's a very good point. I find that happens a lot in systems games, where yeah, you'll introduce some new mechanic and then never use it for the rest of the game. I remember mm-hmm. I played um, Sekiro: uh, Shadows Die Twice, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you learn all these weapon arts and all these like gadgets that go along with your your katana, and all I did through the whole game was just attack people with. Like, yeah. the- and, and run away from people. That, that's it for the whole game, even though he's got like 30 different uh, other abilities. I never used them even once. So um, here you will have to use all four of these abilities and use them in pretty creative ways.
0: Very cool. Uh, so you also mentioned, you know, squishing enemies uh with the box which i didn't even think of but this is one of those things where i was watching the trailer to this game and i've been you know uh looking into this and at first i thought oh this seems like a game where there's literally no combat right like at first if you're you're watching the 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 portion of the trailer where you're just kind of like escaping from enemies they seem to be overtaking you and then randomly there's a a portion where you you do have what seems to be kind of like a a laser rifle uh if you will i'm not sure if i have that correct but um (laughs) Kind of, how much of this game plays into the element of combat versus the the you know exploration side?
1: It is very little combat. Um, okay. That's a uh, it's, would, the game is not a shooter at all. It's definitely a puzzle game. Um, even the shooting uh, component, which is, is sort of at the climax uh, at the end of the game, mm-hmm. um, it's not super long, and it's more puzzle-y is the way I might describe it, too. Mm. Um, I mean, you'll have, to, you'll have to be able to aim and be accurate and such like that. But, uh, yeah, I would say it's a more of a puzzle-y shoot sequence than it is like a you know shooter. Right. Um, but- and in terms of squishing enemies, um, yeah, uh, there are enemies. Where I think you can get through the whole game without squishing any enemies, but uh, it's just an optional way of getting by some of the critters that you, you encounter. Uh, But again, it's more of a puzzle thing, right? It's like, uh, you know, how do I get past this little spider that's on the ground that wants to eat me? Um, Maybe I'm going to bounce over him. Maybe I'm going to try and just run past really fast, or maybe I'll drop one of these cubes on his head and kill him.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see if there's a pacifist achievement in the game. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I, you know, you see quite often in just about any video game nowadays, Um, but one of the things that I do enjoy because kind of every developer does it a little bit differently is hacking mini games mm, yeah. and I wanted to talk specifically about yours because I I thought it was definitely a, a different way that I've seen it before because it almost and granted I don't know shit about hacking but, it, <laughs> but in some senses it feels a little bit closer to what would be hacking versus what you normally get which is like you know thinking of bioshock like the pipe dream game right like it's definitely that's not going to be hacking whereas this one has a little bit more of that like manipulation walk me through a little bit of of kind of how you designed your hacking mini
1: game yeah so i I designed all the mini games um there's it's more than just hacking there's all kinds of different stuff but you can kind of think of it all as hacking i suppose some of it is hacking mechanical things some of it is biological things It's, Mm -hmm. it's a bunch of different stuff but um there's actually several different hacking mini games. You probably haven't seen most of them, to tell you the truth. Uh, Very cool. How many minigames games are there? Like fifteen or sixteen? There's wow. a there's over a dozen. I don't think as many as twenty. Somewhere between fifteen to twenty, something in there. And uh, the the goal was to basically make it so that you know if if you played like Mass Effect two, I think it was. You see, like the same three mini games, like over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and um, you know it works in that game because that game's a shooter, but we're a puzzle game, so we can't do that. We can't have the mini games be the same thing over and over and over again. So, right, quite a few unique games, uh, things that I think you wouldn't have encountered before, um, and um, certainly the whole front half of the game. I don't think you, there's any duplicates for the uh, for for the mini games um, wow. with respect to. Uh, them feeling like you're hacking, you're absolutely right. I definitely tried to make them feel more like you're actually doing the thing that you were meant to do. There's this one mini game, which can't think whether it's actually been in any of the trailers. I don't think it is, um, which I based on uh, assembly programming. Hmm. Uh, So basically a lot of programmers will program in a more uh, high level language like C++ Uh, or java or you know c sharp or something like that Mm -hmm. but um that code gets compiled down to this like in-between layer of code called assembly which is very is is readable but harder to read right and and basically involves like kind of taking things into registers which are little chunks of memory and then like adding those two registers together and So we made a mini game that kind of looks like that where you're taking data and slotting it into registers and then adding those registers together or splitting them or whatever and then um yeah a lot of the games were inspired by um real world things that you might actually do like assembly programming we have a logic gates one like that simulates uh like electrical circuits um Mm -hmm. we have a binary matching one and they're all they're all meant to feel a little more grounded i suppose
0: yeah. Do you have a, a favorite one as far as like, you know, coming up with it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, tons of them are fun. Uh, I, I love the mini games. Uh, I, I actually wish I had time to build more of them. I, I have a good, maybe about 15 more that I designed that I just didn't get to fit into the game because the game eventually has to come out, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure people would enjoy that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I don't think I do have a favorite. I suppose the ones that, that look the best are the, the more visual ones that are you know more just like colored nodes that you have to like line up or something like that um i definitely have one that is my least favorite <laughs> okay uh, there's one that there's, it's one of those games i find really difficult where uh kind of like a rubik's cube where you know when you like if you've ever tried to solve a rubik's cube you, you just seems like everything's going great and you've got like the one top level finish but then in order to get the second level done you've got to disrupt your top level mm, and it just yeah. feels like oh i can't i worked so hard to get that working now i gotta undo it all we have a puzzle that that does that where in order to get to the right answer you have to kind of destroy some of the stuff that looks like it's already correct and those puzzles <laughs> just drive me nuts so yeah. it, it's a very hard puzzle for me to <laughs> and uh, i've definitely seen some other people banging their heads against it yeah. uh, that my, being said, it's a very simple, straightforward, easy to understand puzzle. It looks like it's the least imposing one, but it's by far the hardest. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah, my brain does not work like that. There's those. Um, I don't know what they're called, but they're those ones where it's like a, a, a like nine, uh, you know, three by three area and you have like one of the spaces that is missing and then you can like move them around that one oh, missing well, space I yeah that I, I mean, that's- those type of games and and kind of what you're describing feels very similar to that in that just like I I do not un- understand. They could be the most simple, uh, basic, you know, baby versions of that, and I'll still be like, no, that's impossible. You, there's no way. It's you can only do that with magic. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why. Um, I,
1: re- I recently played um, Paper Mario mm-hmm. um, with my daughter who is seven, and she was six at the time that we played it, and we ran into one of those puzzles that you're describing. And you know, throughout the, she, because she's six and I'm a grown man, I can beat the game, and she struggles with it for the most part. But when we got to that puzzle, I was like, I cannot solve this. And then she's like, I can do it. So I just hand her the controller, and she's worked away on it and fixed it, completed the whole thing by herself. And she was like, I beat it, and you couldn't, Dad. You yeah. couldn't. I could. I'm like, yep, that sounds about right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of those moments where the child is smarter than the adult. What are you going to do? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, so I also noticed on your steam page, looking through the actual game, um, I didn't really see this mentioned anywhere as far as like the trailer goes or in, in other places, but there seemed to be, um, and I don't know how much emphasis is played into this, but there seems to be dialogue options as well within the game. Um, kind of how big of an impact are we talking with with this as far as shaping the playthrough, right? You know, I'm thinking of something as far as uh, your decisions and, and your dialogue will be change and totally alter the game from one end of the spectrum and another is just like is this more of just a role-playing thing of like learning more information or or playing as a character where you think they would respond like this you know how much emphasis is this dialogue options play into
1: yeah the dialogue options are definitely on the 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 um more of a flavor text side of things than they are okay. like maybe making massive changes to the game um they make virtually no change to the game gotcha um, is what i would say and um there's a few things you can pick that kind of last uh throughout the game but for the most part uh your decisions don't really affect anything um yeah uh yeah i don't yeah without saying too much about that that's that's how it's designed to be and um the uh it's also just kind of fun that the reason why we included those, I love dialogue options, I should point out. Uh, Immortal I Empire as well. dialogue, dialogue options. Every game I play, I'm, I, I like it when I can pick how I, my character reacts. Um, as a game design trick, they're also a really good way of getting the player to actually absorb the dialogue. So, um, if you pause at a certain moment and give them an option, then they're meant, then they actually read it and listen and they're more engaged. If you just have like a long cinematic that you make someone sit through, sometimes mm-hmm. you can lose interest and get bored. So, um, I like it from that, uh, standpoint as well, but, um, it's fun, right? Because you can, um, you know, Arturo will say something to you and the the choices that you're given are fairly dichotomous like you'll either be agreeing with him or completely disagreeing with him right Um, watching some of the streamers that have played the game and have played it you know about the first four or five hours of it so they play quite a bit of the game um they seem to be having a lot of fun with those dialogue options the people watching the streamers play are like pick this pick this no no pick that pick that they're arguing about which one we do have like custom uh responses for each one so if you pick a you know Arturo will respond with this a response if you pick b he'll respond with b response and mm-hmm, both mm-hmm. of the responses are pretty funny for the most part um so it does encourage a bit of like hmm, i kind of want to go see what would happen if i had disapproved with his actions here versus right. approved yeah
0: Very true, very true. Okay, so not a huge, you know, uh, change in the game, but something to keep you uh, engaged. I I really like that response because I've actually, you know, it's funny what I do for a living plays very much into that, you know, keeping the audience engaged. I I build learning content um, in, you know, (laughs) what i don't do for my hobby as far as this Uh, but i I think it's super interesting because i've never heard that as a response to like why dialogue options exist in a game as opposed to just like oh because it alters the story and whatever like why you would have them if you perhaps didn't have a a choices will Drastically change something. So I think it's really cool. Um, I want to talk about the actual game coming out and kind of where that status is because, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Some people are already playing, you know, portions of the game. Um, You mentioned that the game has to come out eventually, right? You can't put too many (laughs) mini games in it. Um, I see on your Steam page that your release window is spring 2021, uh, which I I believe we're currently in right now so my main question is is how confident are you of still hitting that window and then just regardless how how is development going in general
1: uh development's going fine um the game is done like you can definitely you can play through it start to finish um many streamers have played through to i'd say 80 percent of the game Um, we told them not to like play through the the end because it would uh, spoil it right um yeah, you can, you can play through the game. All the achievements are there. You can watch the credits, uh, like all of the content is there, but there are some bugs. And, mm. um, basically as soon as we get all these bugs finished, that's when we're going to, to launch the game. I don't want to launch the game with, uh, bugs lingering, which is what often happens with large AAA games is they just have to like hit their release date no matter what. Right. Um, with a few exceptions of course of games that get delayed, but, um, for the most part, uh, games that I've worked on ship knowing that they're buggy. Um, yeah, and I don't want to do that. So I'm not saying it'll be completely 100% bug free, but I, I, I don't want to ship it knowing that there's bugs there. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, the main- uh, in terms of the release window, um, uh, spring is maybe not, but if it's not spring, it'll be like next month. It'll be like early, early, early summer.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. So
1: we're, we're currently targeting July twelfth.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: We should be very close to being done.
0: Oh, that's um, that's awesome to hear. I can't wait. Uh, I this was one of those things where, um, and I, I love this is going to be a. I hate tooting my own horn, but I love when other people will reach out and be like, "Hey, you should interview this person," or or a developer reaches out because this is a game I probably wouldn't, I I wouldn't have had on my radar. Ed, I definitely want to check it out. I think it looks super cool. Um, I'm really excited for it. Uh, let me ask you this, though, because I've seen that it's both on Steam and Epic. What are we thinking as far as console ports go? Is that going to be a thing? Is that going to be a, you know, we'll wait and see how reception goes?
1: Yeah, you've got it. It's basically we have to identify whether the game is um, you know financially successful enough to justify the console ports. Yeah. For us, because we did build our own game engine, creating ports is quite a big undertaking as compared to someone who may be using a pre-built engine like Unreal or Unity, where the porting process is much uh, more straightforward. Hmm. For us, it's, it, you know, it's probably a year's worth of work, if, if not wow. more, before we're able to make the engine run uh, efficiently on, uh, on you know, multiple consoles. That being said, we are already approved to launch the game on PlayStation and Xbox so okay, um, cool. we already have access to you know the, the sdk we have access to the the development kits we can we can do it we just um don't want to invest that you know year year and a half of, of time if it turns out no one likes the game um <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hopefully people do uh that's certainly in the plan uh, that's basically the next thing we plan to do uh once the game comes out is people buy it and it makes sense then we'll make console versions
0: that's awesome. Okay, and we, and we, well, I
1: should, I should point out uh, from a gameplay standpoint, um, all the, everything works on controller. Uh, all the mini games are designed to work uh, with a controller as well as mouse and keyboard. Um, I think you'll find it. Uh, it's not going to feel like a port in either direction. It's not going to feel like, hey, this minigame will be way better with a controller or this one right. will be way better with the mouse. Uh, we've designed it so that it feels uh, good on both platforms.
0: <clears throat> gotcha. So it should be super easy to do. Right. Okay. yeah yeah clearly a joke um well thank you so much for your time i always like to wrap up this show with one final question so this is just about advice for those who might be in the indie space those who are looking to get into the indie space you know i'm sure you have a lot of experience behind you um and i'm sure i'm sure you've learned you know one or two things along the way can you tell me you know, for those who might be looking to get into this space, kind of what advice or what things have helped you, whether that be something that, you know, you should never do this, or maybe something like you should always do this, or maybe if it's even just like, hey, this kind of helped me, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, oh there's a million different tips and tricks to to, to, to you know, leverage in, in building games like this to try to make them good quality. Um, but uh yeah, what's up with a good piece of advice here i guess uh, maybe a bit of thing that i it was un unexpected from my perspective which we touched on at the beginning uh, of the call here was um that th- if you try to start your own company there's a lot more administrative stuff that you may not want to be doing right. um, than you might have anticipated. Uh, unanticipated that was the case for me anyhow um yeah I do spend a lot of time doing kind of miscellaneous running the business day-to-day stuff versus um, actually building the game mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the second kind of big surprise was that uh was yeah this this whole idea that like i kind of thought well um i have full creative control i can build the game however i want it to be um it should be the game that i envisioned and of course no not really like it's it's the game <laughs> that you can make right based right. on but I can't control other humans or right? all I can do is ask them for their help and, and pay them for their help. And, um, in the end, they're going to put their own creative touch on it. And, right. uh, you know, you have to be willing to accept a certain amount of the game. Isn't going to be 100% what you, uh, pictured. It'll probably be, you know, 80% what you pictured. Mm-hmm. And, um, You know, sometimes those uh, those other people getting involved are are a huge benefit. I mean, um, because they'll uh, develop an idea that you didn't have, and um, but yeah, be 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 prepared for that is 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 kind of the other
0: yeah thing I would
1: mention. Yeah, be be ready to have things not go um, exactly to plan.
0: Yeah. I, I can definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, to some degree, not even from the, you know, the, the contractor or the other individual's perspective shaping the game, you also have to think of, you know, it, it's going to be 100% in in some ways yours, but at the end of the day, eventually it's going to go into the games, like the, the gamers hands, right? It'll, it'll be shaped by those individuals. And so it's probably better or beneficial to get their kind of opinions and and start doing what you're doing you know like giving it to those streamers giving it to those people who who can take it and say you know xyz feedback whatever that might be and that's going to shape it ultimately as well so like it's one of those things where you know going into that like you have your vision but that vision's always going to be slightly altered based on kind of the, the world around it right
1: yeah and you know as you pointed out yeah users are going to have their own opinions you know something maybe a, a designer didn't anticipate especially mm-hmm. with the mini game, I, I always have other people play those mini games <clears throat> and watch them play it so i can make sure they're rather not, not too hard or not too easy um it's super important to get feedback from from users but also um make sure that your company is dynamic enough to adjust to you know, um, changes in the industry right i mean Yeah, back in 2013, you know, Steam was a closed platform with very few games on it. (laughs) Now it is not, right? (laughs) Right? Everything under the sun is on Steam, and uh, I don't know how many games come out there per day. I think it's around 100, 120 per day. It's crazy, right? So the the entire industry has changed, and um, that's something you you have to. It's hard to predict, so um, you better like what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. don't pick something trying to chase where you think the industry is going because you might not be able to know where where you think things are going to be.
0: Very true. Well, anyway, for those listening, Claire de Lune is currently in development, but apparently coming pretty soon. By the time you listen to this, uh, it might be very close to being out. Um If any of this sounded interesting, though, go over to their Steam page or Epic Game Store page. They have one on each of those storefronts. Check it out. Wishlist it. You know, make sure you're notified when it does come out. Once again, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you very, very much.
1: Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is May traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast.